Good morning. I was uh, I was happy to see so many present last night at Jack and his new bride's wedding from Center Grove. There's a bunch, a whole big bunch that was there, and it was really nice to see you all there. Our brother uh, Ray Pippen, of course, has passed away. Ray, uh, he was a very quiet man, uh, but he was uh, he he was always here. Whenever we came together as a congregation, Ray was here. We didn't talk much, but he was here, and uh, I guess you can't beat that. Uh, we missed seeing him for some time, and of course, for him we do trust and hope that uh, he's gone to be with the Lord, and his life has gone through a great improvement. Uh, last week I started talking about the man of sin. Today I want to continue that part two. There's going to have to be a part three next week, Lord willing. Uh, it's, a, it's a bit of a difficult subject to talk about. It's one we got to talk about because it's in the Bible. But it's a, it's a little bit difficult because it takes a lot of reading. Uh, a lot of the Bible uh, goes into this particular subject. And not only that, but you got to know something about secular history, what was going on uh, back during the first uh, several hundred years uh, since uh, our Lord walked this earth because the man of sin was a progressive thing and it would require time. So uh, best I can do is explain it. And uh, if you ever want to follow up on it, of course, you always can. Second uh, Thessalonians 2 uh, concerning the second coming of Christ, the falling away and the man of sin revealed. Uh, th there's a lot of falling ways, and you know, you don't want to get all tripped up. People talk about the Antichrist, you know. A lot of Antichrist. John said, even now, there are many Antichrists uh, back in the first century. Uh, but then there was the Antichrist. He was different. The article came before Antichrist. Even though there were many antichrists, there was the antichrist. There were many apostasies in the first, second, and third century, fourth, fifth. Many apostasies, but there was the apostasy. It was different from all the rest because it was much bigger. Uh, there was uh, much more involved in this particular apostasy. And that's why it gets special attention. It's not because some world leader is going to raise up and have a rapture and all this other stuff people talk about. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about what was going to happen in the near future of the church. Uh, and one of these days we'll take a look at the book of Revelation. And I'll show you how that is. But it only covers a few hundred years. It's not, it's not nearly what people make it out to be. That's one thing about the Bible I've noticed. It's very, it's very simple. It's a very simple book. But people complicate the book. <laughs> They make a, a whole lot of stories come out of it, and then you don't understand the beginning from the end. But uh, it doesn't have to be that way, and uh, we'll try to keep it the way it's supposed to be read and understood. The first few verses, uh, my brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, the second coming. Jesus comes back, and we go up. We ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit, word, or by letter as if we wrote it. As though the day of Christ had come. It hadn't come. It hadn't come. 
fall of Jerusalem wasn't the day of Christ, not in the sense that Paul's writing about now. Some of our brethren even say that that happened in the fall of Jerusalem. That's not true. The second coming of Christ is going to be the end of time. It wasn't going to be um, just to take vengeance on a nation. Let no one deceive you by any means. Don't let people lead you astray with a lot of good talk. For that day will not come unless first the falling away comes, the man of sin is revealed. Before Jesus comes back, these two things are going to happen. There's going to be the falling away as opposed to all the rest. And then the man of sin is going to show himself. Uh, and the whole world will know it because he's that big. Uh, he's bigger than life, really. And uh, the whole world will know it. It's not hard looking backwards. It's not hard to figure out who Paul's writing about. Uh, the evidence is really quite overwhelming. Some of the character traits of the man of sin we went over last week, too. The man of sin is the son of perdition. He sins, and he's going to ultimately be destroyed. You don't have to be afraid of the man of sin because his end is destruction. We can be saved, but his end is going to be destruction. He's also referred to as the lawless one because he doesn't keep the law of God. Uh, he violates the law of God. He creates his own law, his own path, and uh, that makes him a very lawless person. He deceives with lying miracles. Uh, this we didn't talk about last week. We'll get it now, though. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. The... This working of Satan is going to have the appearance of working miracles. And this was very popular, well, throughout time, really. People still do it today. Uh, you ever watch these uh, illusionists? You know, some, man, some of them are really good. They, you can watch what they do, and you think, how in the world that rascal do that? I know it wasn't a miracle, but there's some way he did it. But it looked like a miracle. Well, that's, that's always happened. People have always had... The, the ability, uh, the talent, if you will, to, to deceive people into thinking that a great miracle had occurred when in reality it had not. This working of Satan, who's going to be behind the man of sin, of course. He's going to be behind the falling away. It's Satan. He, see, he's orchestrating the whole affair. It's going to be his works, the power signs and lying wonders, that it's all unrighteous deception. And that's the key word, is deception. A lot of people have attributed uh, miraculous works to Satan. Satan can't work a miracle. It's not within his purview to do that. The only person that can work a miracle is God. God can work a miracle because he's God. He's the Almighty One. Satan can. Satan's an angel, a created angel. He's limited, just like you and I are limited. He can't work a miracle when the, what they're seeing are deceptions with the appearance of being a miracle, but people are deceived by such things. Even today, you got these, um, what do they call these people on TV that take your money? Um, crooks, yeah. <laughs> crooks, all right. Uh, no, they... They tell you your fortune or something. You make a phone call. Psychics. These psychics. Uh, they claim that they can predict the future, and people pay a lot of money to these rascals. Uh, 
They can't predict the future. It's a working of Satan. When people say they can predict the future, it's a work. He puts them up to this kind of stuff because they don't have the power. Nobody has that kind of power unless it's given by God. God gave such powers at one time. He doesn't give them today, but he did back in the first century for about 70 years, and then it came to a close. But there's nobody today that can work a miracle. They can fool us. I bought some of them, boy, one guy, he made a 747 disappear. I really thought that was cool. But I know it was a trick. He didn't make that thing disappear. Anyway, deception is the act of causing someone to accept as true or valid that which is false or invalid. Making people believe a lie. That's what deception is. So this falling away is going to be a deception. The man of sin is going to be a deceiver. And they're going to cause people to believe that miracles are occurring by the power of supposedly God, which is not true. This unrighteous deception will be persuasive among those who perish. Why? Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. If a person loves the truth of God, they're going to do what the Lord would have them to do. It's, uh, it's pretty black and white. Uh, if I say something that's not true and you have a love for God, you're not going to believe me. You're going to believe what God said. I can't overrule God. I can't make God wrong. If, if God says black and I say white, I'm wrong. And to believe me over God would be a foolish thing to do. But there are people, many, many, many millions of people, millions and millions and millions of people who take the word of men and not the word of God. These are the people that Paul's talking about. This is a working of Satan. He's an unrighteous deceiver, and he's going to lead millions of people astray. And it's sad, so sad. It, this, this whole affair with this man of sin, it's a false Christianity. It's going to appear to be Christian, but he says it's not Christian at all. It's built on lies and deceits. But it'll look Christian, but it won't be Christian, okay? There will be many deceiving spirits, Paul said, teaching doctrines of demons in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1. There are going to be people that teach teachings that came out of the depths of hell itself. Why? Because they're of the same mind as the demons, and they teach things that are not true, and people believe it. Why? He's such a good preacher. He's such a good man. He loves everybody. He can't do nothing wrong. He's a wonderful, wonderful person, and I just love that man to death. Well, they don't love the Lord, and that's the problem, because if they loved the Lord, they'd listen to him and not listen to a deceiving spirit. I don't care who that spirit is. A person who loves the Lord is going to take him at his word every time as long as we know what his word is, of course. The man of sin was already at work when Paul was writing the Thessalonian epistle. Verse 7, the first part, the A part, Paul said the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. It's going to be centuries before this falling away would reach a point where the, son, the man of sin will be manifested, but it's starting now, okay? It's going to take a long, long time 
to get to the point where the man of sin will be manifested. But Paul said, as he was writing his letter, it's in process. At the moment, it's in process. With, uh, with the advent of Christianity, it was in process. Whenever there's truth, there's always going to be the lie. Whenever there's righteousness, there will always be unrighteousness. The truth of God will always be challenged. That's how you and I get a choice of what we're going to do. I can do righteousness or I can do unrighteousness. We're in the middle, but they're, they're always going to be there to counter the other. Lawlessness ultimately is going to produce the man of sin. We looked at that last week, if you recall. <clears throat> a restraining power, however, was at work while Paul was writing this letter. Look at the B part. He says, he who now restrains will do so or he will continue to restrain. This, this, this falling away is a, is, a, is a movement heading in a direction. And ultimately, the man of sin is going to be revealed. But Paul said there, there's something holding it back. There's something that's tempering it. Something that's keeping it from getting out of hand. What is that something, Paul? He doesn't tell us, but we know what it is because hindsight's twenty twenty. We know it was the Roman Empire. There was no way the emperor of Rome was going to allow a man of sin to exist. No one was going to challenge his power. No one could challenge his authority. If anybody made any such attempts, they would die because the emperors wouldn't allow it to be that way. All of these things are taking place during the fourth kingdom of Daniel in chapter 2 of the book of Daniel. All these things are coming to fruition, but it's being tempered by the authority of the Roman Empire itself. This is the restraining power. This is what's holding it back. He continues uh, about this very matter. Do you not remember when I was still with you that I told you all these things? They got insight that we don't have. I wish I knew what Paul told them when he was with them, but we just don't know. And now you know what is restraining. He told them what the restraining was. I don't know what he said. I've got a really good idea of looking backwards. Uh, it was the empire itself. It was a very important empire, the Roman Empire. Before the, the, the falling away could reach the point where the man of sin could be produced, the power that restrains the Roman Empire is going to have to go away because as long as it's got the authority and the power that she has, the man of sin can't be revealed. Well, what happened? Well, the Roman Empire was taken away in the year 456. It still existed as an empire, but it was very weak. It was very weak. The church had more power, more authority, bigger armies than Rome did. So Rome was now subservient to the church because the church had become so powerful. You remember in the year 312, Constantine made Christianity the state religion of the Roman Empire. And from that time forward, the church grew richer and richer and more powerful, more powerful. They wanted to become the dominant power. And in the year 456, when Rome was invaded 
and much of her territory was lost and her military suffered death, the church had control. Now, it wasn't any particular church. Well, the Catholics say it was the Catholic church, but they falsify history. Um, I'm, I'm not speaking out of turn. You read the Catholic Encyclopedia, and it'll tell you the truth about the matter. It wasn't the Catholic Church per se. They claim it was. They tried to trace popes all the way back to Peter, but it's, it's not true. They falsified the information, and the Encyclopedia makes that crystal clear. At any rate, uh, when, when this time came, Rome became subservient to the church, and the church became more and more powerful. And this is what Paul's talking about. The falling away is going to be a massive undertaking, but there's something that's stopping it. What is it, Paul? It's Rome. They can't become a superpower because of Rome. Rome won't let it happen. But take Rome out of the picture, which it was taken out of the picture in 456, and then the falling away will become really strong, and when it reaches its peak, Something's going to have to be done. There's going to have to be a central power because the church is fighting amongst itself. You got this country fighting this country because everybody wants to be in control. You especially had a conflict between Constantinople and Rome. Each one of them wanted to be the leader of the church, and they were battling each other until ultimately, ultimately Rome uh, was given... Uh, the power by the emperor, and Boniface III became, uh, made the church uh, in Rome, the head of the church universal. The man of sin was going to be revealed, and of course he was uh, when all this took place. Uh, the first pope, really, truly a pope, uh, the first uh, bishop of the universal church, okay? That was the title. The first person ever to be called the bishop of the universal ch church occurred in the year 606 AD. That's the commencement of popery, and it would go on from that point forward. The book of Revelation uh, gives us some inf insight, at least, into what was taking place. The book of Revelation, uh, simply put, tells us about a war that exists between two great empires. One is the Roman Empire and false religion. The two went hand in hand, like I said, until the false religion became stronger than the empire. And then they became the power rather than Rome. You've got the Roman Empire and false religion versus Jesus Christ and his church. That's, that's what the book of Revelation is about. It's got nothing to do with us. It was all completed, and by the fourth century, the book of Revelation comes to an end, other than the fact it tells us that Jesus is coming back. But that's the end of the story. The Roman Empire is depicted as a beast that comes up out of the sea in chapter 13. False religion is a beast that comes up from the earth, chapter 13. Jesus Christ is... We see him as a baby in chapter 12. And then this church is depicted as a woman also in chapter 12. It's very, it's a beautiful picture to, to look at 
it tells a it tells an incredible story in picture words. And some people say that the Book of Revelation was written in some a code, okay, a code. No, that's not really correct. It's written in pictures. Pictures. You ever hear the saying, a picture's worth a thousand words? Well, the book of Revelation, you get pow, you get this picture, pow, you get this picture, bang, you got a dragon, bang, you got a baby. I mean, it's, it's incredible when you start thinking about the imagery in the, in the book of Revelation, but it's, it's not to be hidden, it's to be a revelation, something we can see and understand. Now, a great sign appeared in heaven. There was a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garden of 12 stars. I can't go through it all and describe it because it's going to run out of time. This woman represents the people of God. Right now, you see she's carrying a child. Right now, this is the people of God. That is the children of Israel, okay? It was the children of Israel that gave birth to Messiah. After Messiah is born, there's going to be a woman. Same woman because she's given birth, but now she's the church of Christ, okay? While she's heavy in pregnancy, she's the people of Israel. After she delivers her baby, she's the church of Christ. One woman, okay, is involved in this story. And, of course, the pregnancy is uh, the Son of God. Being with child, she cried out in labor and pain. She's just on the verge of getting birth. Imagine a woman. She's fixing to give birth. There she is. She's crying. She's, she's weeping. She's by herself. She's got no help. She's got no support. And she's about to have this baby. And all of a sudden you go, bang, another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head, his tail. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. What does that mean? It means he's big. It means he's powerful. It means he's ferocious. That's all that tail means. He's a big, mean dragon. And he's there with this woman who's about to give birth to a child. The dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth. He wanted to devour her child as soon as it was born. He's sitting there, man, he's drooling over this pregnancy. This woman's about to give birth, and he's got drool coming out of his mouth because he's going to destroy that baby as quick as that baby's born. But it didn't work out that way. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. That's a prophecy regarding Jesus of Nazareth. Her child was caught up to God. She, the baby was born, and bang, he's gone. He's gone to heaven to be with the Father. And there sits that silly dragon who is Satan, verse 9 of chapter 12. This dragon is sitting there. He was going to devour the Son of God. He tried his very best. He failed because instead, when he had Jesus crucified, his Father raised him back up, and he went to heaven. It looked like Satan won and Jesus lost. But it wasn't that way at all because Jesus was the victorious one. He went on to eternal life. Then the woman, the church, fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God. She was nourished and nurtured by God because she was living during a time of severe persecution. We could go into this, but we don't have time. I got to keep moving. Now let's go to chapter 13, verse 1. John the Apostle said, I, John, I, John, stood on the sand of the sea. I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. The beast he saw rising up out of the sea is Rome, 
Rome is depicted as a sea beast in this particular chapter. Verse 2 says the dragon. This, of course, is Satan. Satan's involved. He's the one that tried to devour the woman. Now he wants to devour the church of Christ. He's at war. He's gonna, he can't beat Jesus in person. He'll do the next best thing. I'll get his disciples. The closest thing to the heart of the Son of God was his disciples. If you can't get the, if you can't get the, the mama or the father, get the child. You want to injure a mother or a father? Get the child. And that's what Dragon's doing. He can't get Jesus. Jesus escaped. He went up to heaven. He turns his attention to the people of God. He wants to destroy them, and he enlists. He enlists powers to help him. Satan is limited. He's hogtied. There's only so much he can do. So he enlists, he uses two things in this world to attack God's people. Number one, he uses government. The primary role government plays in this world is to torment the people that live in the world. Number two, he uses false religion. Satan's enlisting both powers to bring about the destruction of God's people. And this is what John is telling us. The dragon, who is the devil and Satan, the serpent and the garden of Eden, the dragon gave the beast his power, throne, and great authority. He gave the beast the, the ability to become the world's most powerful nation, and it was. There's never been a nation as powerful as the Roman Empire. The United States isn't as powerful as the Roman Empire. Roman Empire basically owned about two-thirds of the world. There's never been a power that great before or since. And Satan gave him the power to be all that he was. They worshiped the dragon, the devil, who gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, government. Government was their god. Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with the beast? We got the power. We're Rome, and we're powerful. He opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints, that's the point, see, and to overcome them. And authority was given to him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. This was the work of government, was to destroy the people of God at the... Um, Discretion of Satan. He's pulling the chains. He's the one making it happen. I saw, I saw another beast, John said, coming up out of the earth. The first one came up out of the sea. This one comes up out of the earth. What is this beast? Well, this beast had two horns, like a lamb, and spoke like a dragon. We know that the horns symbolize the Lord Jesus, and we know that speaking like the dragon symbolizes Satan's ruthlessness or false religion. He looked like he was a Christian, but he spoke like the devil. Jesus said black, he said white. Jesus said up, he said down. He looked like Jesus, like a lamb, but he wasn't no lamb. False religion is what this indicates to us. <clears throat> P 
Peter said, when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. It's a have it your way religion. We've got the religion of Christ in our Bible. The Lord has told us what he wants us to do. One, two, three, four, five, six, so on. Well, some of that, what we're supposed to do, makes me uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable talking to people uh, about their sins. It makes me, I'd rather not have to do such a thing. Another person says, well, I like, uh, you know, I like to go fishing on Sunday. It's not really good for me to, to get up and go to a church on Sunday. Uh, I think I'd rather go to church on Saturday night. Okay, and, and, and this false religion says, okay, have it your way. You, uh, you don't want to get involved in personal evangelism. You don't have to. You don't want to worship on Sunday. You prefer to worship on Saturday. That's okay. We'll do it. Some of our brethren within Churches of Christ have actually passed out uh, surveys in the communities where they work in these cities, big cities, asking the people in the community what would they like to see in a church and what the people answer back, you know, the, when people are in, in agreement on certain things, we'd like to see this or we'd like to do that. It becomes a part of the congregation's activities. I have it your way kind of religion. Peter said the guys that can persuade you to do stuff like this, he said they're good talkers, they're good talkers. They'll talk you right out of your shoes. Matthew 7, 15 and 16, Jesus said, Beware of these false prophets. They're going to come to you in sheep's clothing, going to look like a lamb, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know these people by their fruits. One of the fruits of people is their words. You will know them by their words, by what they say. This was the two beasts, and of course it's symbolic of all time. This was the problem Christians had to deal with in the first four centuries. You had to deal with the problems that come with the government, and you had to deal with the problems that come with religion, false religion in particular. But these same two elements, these are the problem in every generation. My goodness, look at our government today. The parents can't keep teachers from putting their children through transitioning now. Just uh, Friday, a federal judge in New Jersey overturned parents' rights over their children. If a child tells the teacher that they want to become a, a little girl, I want to become a little boy, the teacher can start the child in transitioning and never tell the parent what they did. Eyes wide open always wide open. He exercises all the authority of the first beast, government. The false religion does, government. He becomes the power. He performs great signs in time that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. No, he didn't do that, but he made people think he did that. He couldn't make fire come down, lightning come down. He doesn't have that kind of power. Only God does. He deceives those who dwell on the earth by the signs which he was granted to do. And he did. And it happened. 
theories regarding medicine very quickly. I'm, I, there's some of them I don't want to waste your time with. Number one, pagan mythology. This is all this all was. Number two, Satan himself, that he's the man of sin. That's not true. Principles of evil. It's not real evil, it's just uh, the principles regarding evil. Judaism. No, Judaism wasn't uh, the, the man of sin. Judaism, for all practical purposes, was in 90 or 70 AD, and we're talking about something that's going to happen centuries later. Judaism isn't going to be a power, it's going to be trying to survive itself. A Roman ruler, that was big. Some say Constantine, other emperors, uh, was the man of sin, but that's not who it was either. Some say it's the future Antichrist. This is what you hear today uh, on TV a lot. The Antichrist is going to come. They're referring to the man of sin that Paul talked about. Now, you've seen what Paul said about the man of sin. The man of sin was developing when he wrote the letter. There was, a, there was something that restrained it from becoming as powerful as it ought to be. Okay? The, the concept behind the man of sin is that there's going to be a person born. Okay? F future tense. This person is going to be born uh, sometime after this moment in 2023. And when this Antichrist is born, he's going to grow up, become a man. He's going to be successful in business. He's going to become a very, very powerful leader. And he's going to cause all sorts of havoc in the world. Listen, Paul said it was at work as he wrote that letter. That's 2,000 years ago. How could that possibly be the case? In about 53 AD, Paul said, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. How, how could he have been talking about 2,000 years from then? No, it's not the Antichrist that people think's coming, some man, some global leader. That's not who it is. Who is the man of sin? I don't have time to tell you now. We'll get to it next week, uh, Lord willing. But the man of sin, quite simply, is... Uh, the Roman Catholic Church, as personified in its emperor or its pope, I'm getting the empire mixed up with the church. Uh, popery is a succession of people down through the years. Uh, he's described as the man of sin because um, he's um, the head of the church, but it has to do with Catholicism in general, uh, which has been through the years a very vicious and a very hateful body of people. They are responsible for the deaths of millions of people because of uh, the power they exercised. But that's Paul's man of sin, ultimately.